Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way, back with you guys for another show, another episode of our Analyzing Arsenal series. Down joined by David Hughes. How are you doing, Matt? Are you well? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I hope you are as well, Tom. Best as I can be, mate. Best as I can be. <laughs> um, I'm glad I did the preview show with Josh last week. We did. Uh, I did have a little joke with him about, obviously, if it didn't go particularly well, maybe one of us wouldn't turn up. But, I mean, it's ironic yeah. that he's not the one that's uh, <laughs> that's not here for uh, the it, dissection. Yeah. He's left it to the Arsenal fan and the Everton fan to, to break down Liverpool. Yeah, uh, that's victory. it, yeah. Very uh, he, uh, he's cunning is what he is <laughs> yeah he, he was actually with me earlier and he said you know I should definitely have a message for Tom uh, I'm glad I'll come back to you but I made a point to avoid him just so I didn't have to uh, pass it on you know <laughs> in the decency <laughs> of you and the listeners you know appreciate it and i'm sure the listeners do too um anyway of course we are here to kind of break down and have a bit of a discussion about what happened on saturday uh, afternoon slash late evening which was i mean I felt like we were going to lose the game. I mean, my prediction was 3-1 uh, Liverpool. I think Josh also predicted 3-1 Liverpool ahead of the game too. So the result wasn't the surprise. It was kind of the manner of the defeat, which I think a lot of people were shocked by, especially after Arsenal went 10 games unbeaten um, and have improved a lot defensively as well under Mikel Arteta. Do you think that the scoreline is a is a fair reflection of the entire 90 minutes or do you think there's more kind of uh, Arsenal's young heads just went after they conceded those first couple of goals? Yeah, you know, I'd add to the point you made, certainly those that those first 30 minutes, uh, it was a very even contest. Uh, there wasn't really a lot of anything happening. Um, quite a, a drab game uh, for both sides, but... Make no mistake about it, that, that obviously suited Arsenal. Uh, Anfield was quite quiet. Uh, I think Arsenal had the potential to grow into the game. And then, <clears throat> you know, it's already been talk, talked about, but uh, there was a little bit of the skirmish uh, on the touchline that seemed to get the home fans on side. Uh, that cre- kind of created an atmosphere. I think Liverpool responded to that. Um, and, you know, if you, if you look back on the game, I think Arsenal got Liverpool at a decent time. They looked a little mm. bit... Uh, apprehensive a little bit not themselves you know looked like they were playing within themselves a little bit you know we talked about it earlier uh, me and Josh funny enough on the Liverpool show um, and we tried to speculate whether perhaps going into the game Liverpool thought Arsenal were playing well they just come on the back of the defeat to West Ham maybe they just wanted to you know kind of play it safe and um build some control and then maybe go on from there so it was going okay for Arsenal but you know mm. after it was half an hour it, it all changed and to answer your original question do I think it was deserved the scoreline sadly I have to say it, it was you know it was yeah. 19 shots conceded in the end I think the XG was around 4 yeah. uh, to, to point two. I mean that's that's pure dominance you'd normally expect to see a penalty or two in, in mm. such a score like that but there wasn't um, so yeah sadly it was a the, the, the scoreline justified what was the uh, the performance in the end. 
What do you kind of make of the the argument on the side of things about Arsenal's the difference in average age of the two teams? I mean, Liverpool's average age I think is around was around twenty eight on the day. Um, Arsenal's much more around the, the twenty three twenty four figure. Do you think that is a, a real factor in kind of Arsenal's inability, not only against Liverpool but also obviously we've seen Arsenal lose badly at Man City. Yes, there was a lot of different players in that game, as there was also in the Chelsea game. But kind of this level of of youth and inexperience that maybe just had them on a different level and, and gave Liverpool that advantage on the day. Yeah, well, look, I mean, you, you can make a case that they are on a different level, aren't they? In terms of um, in terms of where they are, if you think about the end goal, uh, if you think about what Arteta is trying to build and progress to, it's it, the journey still is really in its infancy. Where the look where Klopp and Liverpool are, you know, they've kind of all come through as a core group together. Um, they've become a really top top side. They've all kind of hit peak years at the same time. Now I'm pretty sure Arsenal's recruitment plan over the past eighteen months or so has that same end goal in mind. You know, they they yeah. want these this young group to go together, to build together, and hopefully reach the peak years at the same time as well. So they're certainly on the right path, but. I mean, that was definitely a, a factor, and it will be a factor. There's, there's going to be issues, you know, we'll come on to it in a little bit, but there's going to, when you've got this young side, you're going to have mistakes in the team, you're going to have a little bit more of a mental fragility uh, as well. Um, and these are all factors that I think we saw on, on, on Saturday evening. Let's have a look at kind of the, the, the shape of the, of the team uh, on Saturday in comparison to one of the more dominant games that Arsenal had against Villa where they looked like the better side for the majority of the fixture. And, and clearly, obviously, this is a very different scenario playing at home against Villa and going away to Anfield. But Arsenal still, under Arteta, have wanted to be a little bit more dominant in games. I mean, they went to, to Leicester and played very well in the first 20 minutes and got their early leads and then were kind of like happy to sit on that. And it seemed like in the first kind of portion of the game that they were going to try and, and, and continue to play out from the back. But Liverpool just suffocated them, really. I mean, when you look at the the specific passing of Lukonga and, and, and Partey, it is really kind of suffocated to, to backward passes, lateral passes. They weren't able to transition anywhere near as much as they would have liked. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think uh, I can understand why Arteta would stick to his principles because he's obviously got a, a long, uh, long game in mind. You know, he's got ideologies about how he wants this team to play uh, and what he wants this team to be and how he wants them to evolve. So I understand that. Uh, if you've got this kind of end goal, you don't want to be chopping and changing depending on the opposition. But specifically going to Anfield uh, against this Liverpool side, I think there was an element of maybe na- naivety on his part. Um I think he could have struck a better balance between wanting to sustain being a team who, you know, play out through the back, play through the thirds, but also having a little bit more intelligence uh, as a manager and as a group of players. So, for example, um, you said they playing out from the back, did okay, maybe first half an hour. When the crowd get on top um, or when they were quite on top early in the second half as well, I think. And in those moments, you kind of revert back to basics and you think, right, okay. Let's just ride out this storm a little bit. Let's get through the next ten minutes without uh, any silly mistakes. We'll clear. We'll clear the ball long. You know, we'll we'll not take any chances, and we'll just get through this. Instead, there was this insistence to give it to give it to the wing backs, put put players under pressure inside their own half, and you know, let's not forget Liverpool are a very good pressing side. You know, they were fantastic three or four years ago, 
obviously now we don't see it as much but that's not because they've become bad at it it's simply because teams don't give them the opportunity anymore they tend to sit in you know not take too many chances so Liverpool's game has kind of evolved to one more of control domination but you know as we saw if, if, if you're going to give them pressing opportunities they'll, they'll more than likely punish you yeah, they, they really will. And I think it was it's interesting you said a second ago about how we kind of got Liverpool in a, in a good moment after two difficult kind of performances. But it, it was almost as if that they that increased the... not incre- It did increase the pressure for Liverpool, definitely, but they responded to that and they they kind of really dealt well with the fact that they knew that Arsenal were travelling there. Not necessarily anything to lose, but it, after the game, it almost felt like in a match where Arsenal had nothing to lose. And, and some people even described it as far as a bit of a free hit for Arsenal that it, Arsenal came away feeling like they had indeed lost something because of the manner of the, in the way that they were beaten. Mm. I think that there are a number of performances individually that can be highlighted. Obviously, the Tavares mistake for the second goal was, was a big, big turning point in the game. Arsenal were just conceded before half-time from a set piece rather than from open play. Uh, and this really did kind of kill the young kids' confidence, all of them on the pitch really, including the experienced players, of getting back into the game. When at 1-0, you're like, well, we're one goal away from nicking a point here, but 2-0 mm-hmm. at Anfield and you're in a lot of trouble. So yeah. the big one what, of the big discussions... Go on, sorry. Go on, David. Yeah, no, no, it's just on this point. I wasn't sure we were going to move off, so apologies mm-hmm. if I've jumped in there. But um, right. would you would you have started them over Tierney? What was your... Well, this was the big discussion, wasn't it? And I, I was, yeah, I was about to say, I think that this was the big discussion before the game. And I I went with Tavares in I was kind of stuck. I didn't I wouldn't have gone for Tierney outright between the two. I would have either gone for Tavares as we did, or I would have gone for a, a 3-4-3 situation or a 3-5-2 situation with Tavares playing left wing back and Tierney at left centre back and used them to kind of suffocate the space of Salah and, and obviously Trent as well that was pushing up. And it also meant that Tavares may have been able to get and, and stop those earlier crosses that Trent likes to put in on that right-hand side as well. So, but I, I still feel like he was the right choice. And I think that it would be, be very easy to just look at that individual error and say, well, that justifies that Tini should have started mm. because it's an individual mistake and that happens to a lot of players. Mm. I, yeah. I'm also now, there's also kind of a debate around whether or not Tavares should then be dropped for Newcastle on Saturday because do you then absolutely kill the kid's confidence after an individual error or do you say, well, we have Manchester United on Thursday after, after the Newcastle game Start Tavares against a side that you're going to dominate and have more possession at home against and allow him to kind of, you know, develop and evolve into the game. Bring Tierney on for the last kind of 20 minutes or so to get some minutes in his legs and then start Tierney at Old Trafford on Thursday. And I think, and I was right about it, and I think that might be the more sensible way to go about that. Yeah, look, I have to say I fully agree with you. Uh, I think that's a mm. really good way to do it. I wouldn't drop him because... What people have got to remember, though, it's really frustrating. And it was a terrible time to do make this mistake because, yeah. you know, second game basically decides to, if Arsenal come back 1-1, it's a completely different fixture. 2-0 at Anfield. I mean, not many teams come back. Brighton yeah. did a couple of weeks ago, but I couldn't, couldn't name the last time it happened. Um, so it was a terrible time. But for the reasons I've just said, you know, these mistakes are often as a consequence of, of what Arsenal trying to do, what Arteta's looking for. You know, he wants his players to be brave on the ball. He wants them to he wants to play out from the back, play through the lines. And sadly, um a consequence is that you're gonna have situations like this where mistakes happen and they can prove costly. So on that basis, you wouldn't just put it down to him alone. I'm sure Arteta will look at it from a wider perspective and think 
you know, I, I've got young players. I'm trying to implement a certain way. This is going to happen, unfortunately. Um, so I'm like you. I wouldn't drop him. Uh, I play him at Newcastle, but I would like to see Tierney against United. Yeah, I think it just makes the most sense come from the perspective of the experience, the balancing not only who's right for each game, but also who kind of can provide the best with their abilities for each match. And when you're going to dominate a game more offensively, a player like Tavares, I think, will give you that additional uh, mm. kind of boost and attack. And Tierney will add the experience that's needed in the game at Old Trafford. Um one of the other obviously, obviously players that is, is coming in for big discussions is, is Arsenal striking situation. Aubameyang has been an isolated figure in many a game uh, away from home at a big six side, and that was, again, the case. Where do you kind of think Arsenal are with their striking situation? Lacazette's obviously going to be out at the end of the season, most likely with his contract expiring. Eddie Nketiah's the same situation. Balogun needs minutes and probably should go on loan. Aubameyang's going to be here for another season. Do you think there is an argument now, based upon what we've seen in these games, that Arsenal could even, or should even, accelerate the plans to bring in a striker in the summer to as early as January to try and double down on what could even be a, a top four race this season? Yeah, I, I, if, if that option's available. Obviously, you know, it's a cliche, but it's, it's not always easy to buy in that market, is it, in January? Uh, you tend to be buying players who for whatever reason, a little bit surplus, uh, you know, whether that's because um, they're not getting game time uh, or a number of reasons, really, but it's just quite a bad, a tough market to buy into, a little bit easy in the summer. Um, so if the option's there, then definitely, if you can accelerate to do it, because I think it, I do like Aubameyang, as, as we know, we've talked about mm -hmm. him, but, and he's definitely not helped by the the, the, the team system at times. I don't think um, he's created. He's not. He's not bestowed a, a, a ton of chances, is he? Really, but I also think he doesn't always do the minimum requirements when things aren't going his way. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to have that edge to his game. He seems to be quite happy to drift out if things aren't coming out of play to him. So, if you can bring someone else in, definitely. Um, I mean, Lacazette's such a strange one for me. I, I still feel like he could do something. He could have another year or so at Arsenal if they, if they could if they could agree some sort of resolution there. But I know I know both parties just can't seem to agree, can they? And maybe it's best that they go the separate ways. But mm -hmm. he to find someone who could match his output and ability. Um, who I, I mean, how much would you pay? And you're probably paying a lot of money, aren't you? And uh, to replace mm -hmm. what he brings, I know he I know you're probably getting a younger version, but it's just not it's not a straightforward one. It's not, and there's, I mean, there is options out there, but there's not, for Arsenal, it's that they're in a really kind of weird situation because there's no guarantee of Champions League football yet. They haven't got that this season. Um, Money-wise, there is money available, as we know, and Arsenal are open to spending, it seems, based upon their last kind of few transfer windows. But there is also the position of midfield that needs to be addressed too and about how you're going to kind of separate the funds for Arsenal in, in the summer or in January. And obviously, January in itself is a really difficult time to sign transformative figures for your team. I mean, we signed Aubameyang in January, six months after we signed Lacazette because we lost Alexis Sanchez and we needed to replace the goals desperately and we signed a player that instead of replacing Alexis kind of replaced the Lacazette who we signed yeah. six months prior. And then we forced them into a, like a system where Aubameyang was left and then we tried them both up front under Emery and it was it never really worked. And I think that, that double investment of over £100 million in those two 
probably didn't return on its investment as a whole. Aubameyang certainly did, but I think that Lacazette was certainly affected by that signing. So whoever we sign, it's got to be someone that's an investment for the long term. I mean, I'd be really interested speaking to you now as an Everton fan. Dominic Calvert-Lewin's name comes up a lot um, in discussions around strikers, and I know that you don't want to lose him. Sadly, yeah. Yeah, of course. But I, do you, where do you sit on like him from an Arsenal perspective and try and obviously detach the emotional romantic side of, of Dominic Calvert-Lewin? To, uh, but is, it, is he a player that you think would improve Arsenal and would be a, mm. a worthwhile investment at 60 million? A thousand percent. Yeah, yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah, I think um, he's, he's, he's got those attributes. Uh, you know, obviously, he's really good in the air. Um, I think he's a, he's a on-par finisher. You know, if you look at his goals mm. compared to his underlying numbers, he's about he's about right. He's about where you want to be. Um, and what I really like is the the other aspects of his game. You know, I think you know I, I touched on the Bamiang a little bit that maybe I think he's quite happy to drift out if it's not going his mm. way. We, me and you have talked in the past about the comfort of the home performances rather than necessarily on the road. These kind of things. I think Calvert Lewin isn't that. You know, I think he's a uh, he's he's a really hard worker. He's a willing runner. You know, he he makes plenty of runs uh, in the channels, in behind, holds the ball up really well. Really good target man, uh, and obviously he has that uh, finishing ability with him as well. So I, I, mm. he, he's a great player, and you know, I haven't really struggled this season. I think being without him, that's that that's one of the key reasons. Um, he's been a huge miss. Um, so. I, th- I hate to say it, but I do think uh, this could be his last season as well because if you look at Everton and where they are at the moment, you know, the kind of mid-table, uh, they're probably not going in the right direction. I don't think they're going wrong either, but I expect them to kind of, you know, mull over for a couple of years, yeah. try and get some stability. And sadly, those teams aren't hugely competitive, meaning that, you know, you, you tend to lose your best players. Lastly then, to round off today's show, what is it you think that Mikel Arteta has got to address now? Because it's a big, big loss. It's a big, big hit to the confidence. Um, you got a, a very winnable game against the bottom side in the table in Newcastle at home. It's The pressure is there as well, though, because that's a game where you cannot afford to drop any points at all. So what is what is Arteta's kind of task and, and key themes that he needs to turn around I must be honest. I, I don't think that Newcastle game is as um, game set as much as, uh, as as we might be kind of selling it there because yeah. obviously they had a solid result uh, on the weekend. Eddie Howe's in now. Mm. I think there's a there's a new feel good factor there. Obviously with the new ownership, it, it, there was a mm. better feel good factor, but there was there's still uh, Bruce being around. I think was holding it back a little bit, but there's a new manager now. I expect that to be a much tougher game. Although I, I think Arsenal st- fans won't accept it, though. That's the thing. I think that's the perspective yeah. from the fan side of things. If anything other than three points, and the knives will be fully out for Arteta in that game. Yeah, and this is Arteta's problem. And I had this a little bit of a conversation with Josh earlier when he was saying maybe he just thinks he just wants to stick to his principles. Uh, mm. And I said, I understand that, but at the same time, he's still in a position where he needs to retain positive results because there's still a large portion of the fan base who aren't convinced. Mm. Um, and you're right now, they've lost that game, albeit against Liverpool. There's now pressure on to win this Newcastle game. To answer your original question, um, I think it's just about turning this kind of um, dominant style that he's trying to implement into a more successful one. Um, I mean, some numbers, I'm looking at them now, um, in terms of passes made into the final third, Arsenal rank 11th, 
in terms of progressive passes, they they rank 15th. You know, it's kind of like they're okay in those first two thirds, but it's about being better at penetrating into the attacking third and converting Mm. more of this, like, these chances or sorry this who's that down to like, how do you solve that problem like, if you look at the team is that a tactical thing is that the mid- central midfielders not being adventurous enough is it is it not the striker not dipping into the midfield to kind of close the gap between the midfield and the forward line what what is the issue i think it's definitely a structure thing for me um rather than individuals you know i think strikers are predominantly while some of them have different roles i think predominantly they're there to finish moves aren't they you know they're there to get on the end of them so we'll yeah. be looking at them i would probably probably be looking at structure structure wise yeah you know um and for me arsenal always seem to be playing a specific way it's like you know short sequences short passing sequences and maybe there's just another window there to to be a bit more penetrative and, and direct but you, you could then look at the players and think well you know, are they not confident enough to do it? Are they not what we need? Yeah. But we don't know what they're being told to do in terms of build-up play. You know, if they're being told to play short and play these specific styles, then it's it's quite difficult uh, to expect a player to go against what they've been getting drilled and start playing like these 30 or 30 or have through balls. So I think it's a little bit of a, a cocktail of different things that need to be improved. Yeah, I agree. It all comes back. It will come back to the manager in the eyes of the fan base. There are individuals that that certainly need to step up as well and improve their performance, especially some of the senior players in the side that are again allowing a lot of the young players in the team to to do a lot of the work. But it's the Newcastle game is massive, um, and I look forward to breaking that down once again with either yourself or Josh afterwards as well. David, absolute pleasure to speak to you as always, mate. Thank you, Tom. Cheers. Tell people where they can find you. Uh, on Twitter mainly uh, at the AHUs underscore absolutely good stuff uh, and yeah please do tune in next week as we will be breaking down as always the Newcastle match you'll be able to find our show in the mornings at 9.30am Monday to Friday for Arsenal Agenda and there'll be plenty more content as well have a fantastic rest of the day enjoy your evenings too and as always keep following us down the Arsenal way